Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Man, what a great week. And uh, in fact, I, I think we ought to give a shout out to all of the parents and grandparents. And uh, uh, not only did we have a virtual vacation Bible school, but you guys did it. You, you, you made the snacks and you built the crafts and you did the motions to go, go, Gabby. And you listened to the stories. And by the way, if you didn't get a chance to hear the Bible story and hear the story about God in a pirate lingo, then you got to go listen to that. I, I think it's the next great translation of the Bible, uh, the pirate version. So uh, take a look at all of that. We're thinking a little bit about step number four as we've uh, leaned into the teachings of Jesus, as we've thought about what this weariness looks like. And I'll just remind you again, it feels like uh, I'm weary. My, my brain is weary my emotions are weary, uh, my body is weary, even though we're asking less of ourselves than maybe we were asking of ourselves a few months ago, we're weary. And I, I, I'm tired of the partisan way in which our culture works, I'm tired of the conflict, I'm tired of the divisiveness, I'm tired of this deep need to be politically correct and careful about everything that's said it's causing us to get inward and, and to stop talking to one another at a time when we desperately need to be talking to one another. I'm tired of being measured by the last post or the last sermon or the last statement instead of by the hearts and the lives that we're living and what we deeply value. I'm tired of being, people being quick to judge and misunderstanding and I think we're living in that season and so we're doing this little series in which we're just trying to stop and say, what does Jesus teach us about weariness? And, and it's been a little surprising, some of the things. You don't think about a yoke being related to rest, but Jesus very clearly says, listen, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And then we talked about the test, getting the log out of our own eye before we work on the speck in someone else. And, and certainly that level of judgment is part of what adds to our weariness, the analysis, the trying to make up our minds. And then last week we talked about putting new wine in new wineskins and the reality that for a lot of us we, we want God to sort of patch us up, but, but He wants to remake us. He wants to continually remake us, remake our hearts and our minds and our spirit. And today, step number four, we're going to talk about the environmental makeover. Now, I'm assuming that there may be audible groans going on right now because I don't know what's happened at your house during this pandemic, and I know the economy has ground to a halt. I just have to say this, if you're anything like us, then maybe the economy has ground to a halt, but there is an e-commerce outlet on my front porch. I, there is stuff arriving at my house all the time, and we have made over the backyard, and we have made over the living room, and it seems like we have way too much time on our hands and way too much access to things that can get delivered. And I don't know if that's happening at your house. So maybe when I say, let's have an environmental makeover, you've already made over about seven rooms in your house and you're, you're tired of making things over. And I want us to kind of revisit just a little bit a conversation that we started a few weeks ago about having control. And we're going to think about that. I, I love this scene from Apollo 13. Maybe you remember that movie 
Uh, there's this scene, and, and there's been a catastrophic failure on the spacecraft, and, 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 and you have the three, Swaggart and Hayes and Lovell, and they're talking to one another, and te- tension is growing, and, and, and Hayes is kind of after Swaggart, and he's saying to him, listen, what did you do? Did you check the gauges before you stirred the oxygen tanks? Maybe you remember the scene. And so there's this sort of tense exchange, and, and, and there's some desire or need to blame and figure out what happened, and and there's an argument that's sort of starting, and Lovell stops the whole thing, and, and this is the dialogue from the movie. All right, gentlemen, we're not going to do this. We're not going to go bouncing off the walls for 10 minutes because we're just going to end up right back here with the same problems. And I don't know about you, but that seems like that captures a whole lot about what's going on in the middle of this pandemic. And we're, we're living from moment to moment and week to week and announcement from announcement and statistic to statistic. And we're forming opinions and analysis and, and, and trying to place blame and figure it out. And angers rise and we post it on Facebook and we challenge one another with all these ideas. And at the end of the day, somebody needs to look at us and say, hey, we're not going to do this. Because after all of this, we're going to end up right back here with the same problems. And the fact is, how do we live in this moment? And how do we control what we can control and work on the things that we can work on? How would your life be different if you just decided for a moment you're going to let go of a few things? Let me read a quote to you. I like it very much. How would your life be different if you stopped worrying about things you can't control and started focusing on the things you can? Now, I want that to sink in. If if right now, in this moment, you said, I'm going to stop worrying about things that I can't control, how many things would you need to jettison out of your brain right now because there are things you're worrying about that you really have no control over? And I'm going to start focusing on the things that I can control. Let today be the day. You free yourself from fruitless worry, seize the day, and take effective action on things you can change. What would be different for you? That quote from Steve Maraboli uh, continues, The reason many people in our society are miserable, sick, and highly stressed is because of an unhealthy attachment to things they have no control over. And I think that speaks to a lot of who we are. We need to allow ourselves an environmental makeover in the context of our thinking and our lives. We're living in a culture that's built for distractions, and there's countless things that that fight for our attention And a lot of those distractions are not good for us. There's a lot of bad news in our culture and our world. We live in a remedial society. A Western mindset is a remedial mindset, meaning we we sort of trained to look for things that are broken, to look for what's wrong so we can go fix it. It's kind of a disposition we have in our culture and, and the way news is reported. It all reflects that reality. So let me just ask you a couple of things. How much... Are you distracted? How often do you feel yourself being sort of flooded by information and being overwhelmed? On a scale of 1 to 10, if I ask you how distracted are you, what would your answer to that question be? Are you able to focus? Are you able to kind of carry on through a train of thought? Or 
or there seems to be lots of things that are pulling your attention and pulling you away. How much of your current inner dialogue is focused on something negative or unsettling? I think it has something to do with the fact that we are always constantly in this state of distraction, and this distraction and negativity builds in us phones, news, sports, email, politics. It's hard not to be overwhelmed and distracted and weary. And so if you stop and you think over a a few little historical quotes that talk about this reality, listen to this. Whoever controls the media controls the mind. Jim Morrison. Not sure he was completely with us, but it was a good quote. And highlighting the issues even further, Noam Chomsky writes these words, the smart way to keep people passive and obedient is to strictly limit the spectrum of acceptable opinion but allow very lively debate within that spectrum. I'm going to read that one more time. The smart way to keep people passive and obedient is to strictly limit the spectrum of acceptable opinion but allow very lively debate within that spectrum. What percentage of your information about life is coming from sources that are at the very best unreliable and at the worst distracting and negative. Now, I don't want to just be speaking words to you. I want you to think about the question, how much of the information that is coming to you is coming from sources that are at best unreliable and at worst distracting and negative, filling up our inner world with things that are damaging, That's why you and I gather in a place like this at a time like this with this book in our hands because we're asking God to inform us of something. This book that says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. If we stopped right there and this was the whole sermon and I just said, that's it, go home. I mean, you are home, but if I just said, that's it. Is that who we are? Is that how we're living? That we're trusting in the Lord with all of our hearts? We're not leaning on our own understanding? How many of us in reality, boy, we are, we are pulling information. We are distracted and overwhelmed. Kirk Franklin years ago said these words, Jesus didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. Everybody thinks God is on their side. Let's all be sure that we are on his side. That's a good quote. It's a good thought. So let me ask a couple more questions. What do you really control? What do you really control? And as you start to think about the answer to that question, let me ask you this. How do you assess the answer to that question? By what criteria do you decide? What do you believe you should control? What does your inner voice tell you is the ought? I ought to be able to handle this. I ought to be able to control this. I ought to be in charge of this. And then let me ask you this. Why do you believe that? Where did that belief come from? In a world that's prone to distraction and negativity, you and I are invited, called, directed to find our sense of direction from the voice of God, from the Word of God. How much time do you spend reflecting on godly things, reading his word, allowing his spirit to guide and speak and comfort and give discernment? How much time in a given week, in a given day, 
Are you allowing your heart, your mind, to have something poured into it besides what's coming from the, the world around us? In, in John chapter 10, we read these words, Very truly, I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. And then skipping to verse 7, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I find this true of myself very often. I'm spending more time with the thief than the shepherd. I'm spending more time with things that are distracting, with things that are negative, with things that are overwhelming, trying to fix problems, trying to get to some answer, trying to place blame, than I am just simply sitting down with the shepherd and saying, listen, the thief comes to steal and kill, but you've come to give me life and I'm, I'm holding on, I'm grabbing hold of that life. Jesus begins to speak directly into this reality in Matthew 13. Listen to what he writes and what he, what he teaches. That same day, Jesus went out of the house, and he sat by the lake, and such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat, and he sat in it, and while all the people stood on the shore, and then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow seed, as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up, and some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil, and it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still others fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means, skipping to verse 18. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away, what has been sown in their heart. And this seed, this, this seed, this is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word but worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understand it, understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. It's a simple story, and it related directly into the lives of the people who were hearing it. It turns out that in that day and age, there weren't tons of space to cultivate crops in Israel. And so uh, the, the, the typical pattern for agriculture was overseeding. So now we have very organized you know, farming, very structured, very scientific but in the day, you know, it was the fact that there wasn't a lot of fertile ground and you wanted to capture it all and seed was cheap. And so you just spread the seed around. And some of it fell on a hard path that had been trampled down because there's lots of traffic coming and going, people uh, making their way, you know, uh, by foot. And, and that ground was hard and packed and the seed could not get into it and the birds came and ate it. 
And then some of it fell among rocky soil. Soil looked pretty good on the top, but, but underneath it, it was full of, you know, rocks and garbage. And, and the seed sprang up very quickly. But when the heat of the day came, it was scorched out because there wasn't any place for the roots to go. And then some fell among thorns and, and it just was choked out. It didn't have a chance. Uh, other things were pressing in in such a way that the seed had no chance and it died out. But some fell on fertile soil, and then this miracle happened. That, that this little combination of soil and seed and sun and water would produce a disproportionate return. A hundred or sixty or thirty times the fruit that would be born. So it's a simple illustration, and it's speaking right into the places where they live. And he, Jesus is talking about the hidden nature of life and what's obvious. And he stops in the middle of the parable and says, whoever has ears, let them hear. And I skipped kind of the middle section where the disciples come and go, what are you talking about? That's a weird illustration. I, okay, whatever, farmer, seed, blah, blah, blah. And so Jesus then begins to say, here's the application. And here at the end of the day is the truth of this little story. You and I really want to be in the fruit business. We want our lives to be productive. We want to be producing good fruit. We want the good fruit of security. We want the good fruit of meaningful relationships. We want the good fruit of a great inner world and inner peace and wisdom and maturity and depth. And we want all that fruit. We want it all. We want to be well-loved and accomplished and significant. And we, we've come to believe we're in the fruit business. We spend our whole life trying to control what kind of fruit we produce. But this story suggests that we're not in the fruit business. In fact, God is in the fruit business. You and I are in the soil business. Our job, our task, what we get to control is the nature of the soil of our soul. That's that's what we get to choose. That's what we get to work on. If I were to just ask you, what, what is the condition of the soil of your soul? How would you assess what's going on in there? We all want to move on. We all want to control the fruit. We all want to control the outcomes. We all want to produce something that's meaningful. And we get all of our head focused over there. But part of weariness is the fact that we're working on things we can't control. And what we can control is the nature of what goes on in here, the nature of the soil of our soul. We're in the soil business. We're not in the fruit business. God is in the fruit business. And so Jesus begins then to pay attention and to speak about these conditions that are inside of us. Number one, he suggests that maybe as we encounter this environmental makeover, you and I ought to seek an environment that is softer and gentler. There's all kinds of things that can make the soil of your soul packed down, trampled, and hardened. Pain can make the soil of your soul hardened. Loss, grief, failure, death, tragedy, misuse, abuse, disappointment. Elitism can make your soil harden. Conflict hardens the heart. 
Situations in the world that are constantly paraded before us with very little critical thinking hardens our hearts. We know a lot in our culture and we come to believe that we don't need any of the seeds that God offers. And so in our culture, we buy all kinds of seeds hoping to grow the right kind of fruit. But hardened hearts sort of become the mark of our culture. Hardened hearts are cynical and safe. They rarely risk looking foolish because they believe in something. They rarely risk being connected because they remain invulnerable. Softening the soil of your soul is vulnerable work. Breaking up the hardness of your heart exposes you to risk. Surrendering hurt is letting go of something you're owed. It's releasing a debt. And so often, we'd rather remain cynical and hardened than risk being hurt again. We all want good fruit. We all want to produce the things that matter most. But fruit in the final measure is God's business. Our business is the nature of the soil. What would it look like for you to pray the prayer with David, take this heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh? I mean, let's talk about the application right now. What did you say on Facebook this week that did not reflect a soft and gentle soul? Let your gentleness be evident to all. What attitudes, what, what blame, what assessment, what analysis, what cynicism? We're trying to control what we can't control. But Jesus is calling us to do an environmental makeover. And that makeover for some of us means I'm surrendering the hardness of my heart, the hardness of my opinion, the hardness of my perspective. And I'm asking God to grow something. I don't want his word to be stolen away, but I can replace it. I can listen to the thief instead of the shepherd, and the word can be stolen out of my heart. It won't take long. The sermon will be over pretty quick. And your phone will pop up with the next set of headlines. And you'll move on to the next set of things that are happening. But you and I are invited to sit and listen to the shepherd and to soften the soil of our heart. Number two, seek an environment of depth. Our lives get full of rocks and we end up with very little fertile soil because we've stuffed a lot of things under the surface. We're trying to be wise and relevant and sensitive and loving and balanced. It's crowded under the surface of our soul soil. Very often we, we, we're crowded in there for all the right reasons because we want all the right stuff inside of us. We want all the right stuff to be reflected in who we are and how we think. And it gets awfully crowded. 
for a lot of us, it, it would do us good to become minimalists in the soil of our soul, to, to just get some of those boulders out of there that occupy so much space and so much time and so much energy. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. I'm so tired of having to be so smart. I'm so tired of having to understand all the societal issues. Be a sociologist and a psychologist and a politician. And now I need to be a medical doctor too. And I'm none of those things. And all it does is fill up the soil of my soul. And underneath the service is just packed. It's just jam-packed with all kinds of stuff. And maybe all that stuff's important, but, but didn't Jesus say, listen, if you want to get it all right, if you want to put an end to racism and you want to put an end to sexism and you want to put an end to, to, to injustice and you want to put an end to the ills of the culture and the ills of the world and you want something that's really true and good, then seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things will be added. And maybe it's time at some point to just say, I just want to get back to the simplicity of that understanding. Because I have filled my soul with all kinds of stuff, hoping and trying to grow the best fruit. But man, things spring up quickly and they die quickly. Number three, seek an environment free from worry. Some soil grows thorns. And some of us have chosen to buy seeds from suppliers that promised us a whole bunch of stuff. And it turns out, after everything was said and done, what was really in those little unmarked packages was thorns, worries. It seems like the more we acquire, the more worry goes with it. We want to own things, we want to have things, we want a comfort of life, but with every one of those acquisitions, worry fills us. And at some point, just to stop and to say, listen, what is going on in the process of your life that fills you with worry? The thorns that grow are stubbornness, habits, fear, anxiety, stress. What would be different if you stopped worrying about things you cannot control? And started focusing on things you can. Let today be the day. Free yourself from fruitless worry. Seize the day. Take effective action on the things you can change. We're invited to seek an environment. To have an environmental makeover. Where we, we invite gentleness and softness. Where we unload the baggage that's underneath the surface of the soil and where we let go of worry that chokes out the good fruit. Finally, number four, seek an environment of healthy, fertile soil. It, it turns out that the illustration says that if you take kingdom seed, kingdom truth, and you put it in fertile soil, then this amazing thing happens. A little good soil and a little good seed produces a disproportionate return of fruit. I don't know what else there is that could be like that. I, I was thumbing through my feed 
this morning and uh, this thing popped up and it was from uh, some nutrition center and it was about a 20 minute video and 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 this is what that promised me it promised me that if I would listen to this video uh, that it would tell me three harmful foods that are making me fat because I have no idea what they could be and it would also tell me four things I could eat that would speed my weight loss that that I would see a miracle I would see disproportionate results that they're not miracle foods they said but people certainly think they act like miracle foods and I'm sure that had I listened to the whole video that at some point I would have been invited to buy something in fact what I would be expecting is that at the end of it there was some kind of supplement that you know cost me a lot of money and, and it just seems to me that that's kind of the world in which you and I live. We, we always would like for something to be quick. We'd like for it to be an answer. We'd like to solve the problem. I, I'd like to take the supplement or eat the food or not eat the food or do whatever. And I'd like to see this miracle. I would like to see a disproportionate return for my investment. That's what I'd like. The appeal of that video is that I am looking for a I believe, know, have experienced that if I don't eat foods that are bad for me and I eat foods that are good for me and I exercise, I will lose weight. But that's hard. And so what I would rather do is I'd rather take a pill and eat whatever I want and still lose weight. That doesn't work. And it seems to me that all the things we listen to and all the things we buy into and all the things we might believe that here in God's Word is a statement that says by the way if you environmentally prepare the soil of your soul and you plant the Word of God in it then you could have a disproportionate result a hundred sixty or 30 times could come back to you out of this simple process of, of softening the soil of your soul, of getting junk out of it, of setting aside the worries that choke out the joy, and of putting the good seed in the good soil. My question this morning is, really simple how much time do you spend listening to the thief and how much time do you spend listening to the shepherd it's a struggle for all of us it's a, it's a struggle in everything we do but but when we listen to the sources around us and we get so caught up in the process and we try to assess blame we need to hear these words resonate. We're not going to do this because when it's done, we're going to be right back here with the same problems. My proclamations, my perspectives, my opinions are not changing the reality of the world and my life. But God's Word could change me. God's Word could transform me. It has. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what God's will is, his good and perfect and pleasing will. I'm just inviting you. I think these steps matter. I think it matters that when we say, God, I, I, I'm weary and I want help and I want relief, that, that Jesus immediately says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm meek and lowly in heart and you'll find rest unto your soul. But you've got to get in the yoke and there's some work to do. There's something to accomplish. And when we say, I, I, want, I want an antidote for weariness, he says, listen, don't judge. By the same measure, you're going to be judged. Why do you try to get the speck out of someone else's eye when you've got a log in your own eye? Get the log out of it. Do the work. Get the log out of your own eye. And then you can help somebody else from a place of humility. And oh, by the way, don't sew a new patch on old cloth. And don't put new wine in old wineskins. Don't pray for God to patch us up. Pray for renewal. Pray for a brand new start and a fresh beginning, a fresh heart, a fresh life, a fresh mind, a fresh spirit. I, I need to stay, keep up. I need to be current. I need, I need to understand the culture that I live in. I am called to be a salt and light in this world right now. And I don't know how to do that. I can't drag 1960 Dave into 2020. I can't drive 1970 Dave into 2020. He's irrelevant. I got to pray every day. Make me new. Teach me what I need to know now. Recreate your life in me for this moment. I'm not hanging on to the old stuff. I'm letting go. And I need an environmental makeover. I need you to soften the soil of my heart. And to show me what things I could get out from under the surface so that there's room for something to grow. Teach me to be a minimalist in my in inner world and help me to not allow worry to choke things out so that your word might bear disproportional fruit, peace, love, joy, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's our invitation. Would you pray with me? God, we give you thanks that your word invites us into a space in which you have asked us and invited us to experience a soil kind of makeover. I, I pray that as we close these moments together and sing in response to your word, that you would speak to us about this makeover, that we might control the things that we are invited to control. That we would just admit and confess in these moments together that, man, we have been trying to control a whole lot of things that we can't. We're trying to be in the fruit business. And so today we, we just surrender ourselves to this step number four. Make us over. Change the environment of our inner world. Soften our hearts. Simplify our souls. Remind us that worry is a waste of our energy and God-given life and breath and resource. 
and allow us in these moments to simply invite you. Would you do your work? Would you allow the good seed to find good soil? And would you return in each of our hearts, homes, family, lives, the fruit that you see fit and that you desire and that you gift into our homes and families and life and church family? That's our prayer. We seek you. Hear our response to your word. We pray together and guide us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Let's respond to his word. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.